Hi, I'm Tina Desiree Berg, and welcome to the 34th. In September 2020, BLM activists planned a protest in Yorba Linda. Trump supporters decided to plan a counter-protest. One of those BLM activists is Tatiana Turner, and she has now been charged with attempted murder. The dueling protests escalated, and MAGA people surrounded Tatiana Turner's car. Turner called 911 from inside her vehicle because she was afraid for her life, but she didn't receive any help. In a panic, she tried to leave, injuring some of the Trump supporters that were surrounding her car. One of the Trump supporters even smashed her back window. Two of the Trump supporters were struck by Tatiana's vehicle and suffered major injuries. Tatiana's bail has been set at a million dollars. Is the district attorney Todd Spitzer actually seeking justice here? Sean Becker Carr Mitchell spoke with Tatiana Turner over the phone about the movement, justice, and the events in Yorba Linda. To accept this call and consider your conversation being recorded and monitored, press 1. So, Tia, uh, could you introduce yourself as well as talk about why you are currently incarcerated? Um, they call me Tia. Uh, I am incarcerated because I am an activist in this movement right now that we have going for Black Lives Matter. This call will be recorded and monitored. And they are trying the best they can to hold a strong sister down. And uh, the world we live in right now, it's a very hard world to live in. And when you find people that are trying to make it better, they uh, all through history, they show you that they try to get rid of those people, assassinate them, uh, lock them up, uh, etc. So, you know, I'm here because I'm one of those people. Got it. And um, what are your charges currently? They're trying to get me for attempted murder, saying I tried to murder some people and whatnot, um, saying that I uh, uh, harmed people, um, uh, stuff like that. So, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of trumped up, for lack of a better word, trumped up charges. Um, you know, that's the that's the way this system goes. They, they put a bunch of charges on you uh, to try to keep you incarcerated, even if they're not going to stick, even if they're not true. Uh, just to make you look even worse. The most important question that I have for you is, how are you? Um, you know, God is good. I'm keeping my faith in God. Uh, with this new development and these new charges that they're trying to add on to me, um, it just shows me how weak they are and how they really don't um, have what they, anything on me, and they're trying to everything they can to try to put on me to hold me down. And so it actually brought my faith, even made my faith even stronger. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm a, I'm a Christian and a spiritual person, and I've made mistakes with my life, but the one mistake I never made was letting God into my life and, and being saved again. 
suddenly being born again and saved. So um, I'm, it renewed my faith that, you know, be still, don't be anxious, and, and there's a plan. There's some type of plan God has for me, and I just have to wait it out and see what it is he wants me to do. What are the conditions like in, you know, you're incarcerated in Orange County Detention Center? Uh, it's called the IRC, is Inmate Receiving Center. Um, they have two places for women here in Theo Lacey. Um, it's a horrible place. It's, it's horrible here in a cell, uh, almost from anywhere from uh, 22 to 23 hours. Um, you know, uh, they have no, I've never seen a place like this. It's, it's just, uh, it's, it's very bare bones. Uh, they do the very minimum possible with everything. Um, they, I can't get my medication. I can't get proper health services. They don't have a proper grievance system, very arbitrary, very discretionary on what they're going to do. Um, the showers, you shower in front of men and, and, and they can see you showering and whatnot. And, uh, the male officers and stuff, they walk in while you're showering. And it's a, We didn't have a shower curtain for, for um, like, but until just recently, just like maybe I think four or five days ago, they put a shower curtain up. And so mm -hmm. um, on Monday, I think is when they did. So, um, and it's clear as glass. So, um, and I, they don't really think there's nothing wrong with that. Um, the the it's just it's it's just you just keep your head down and you know do your times that type of place and and uh, pray and read and stuff like that. Gotcha. And um, I know that there was some concern earlier. Uh, are you receiving hot meals? No, we haven't received hot meals in um, like 45 days or something. They, you know, it, this place is very bare minimum, and they're going to use COVID as an excuse for everything. Um, um, as it, this call will be recorded and monitored. People might be aware of in the paper that this facility is supposed to let out an additional 1,800 inmates, and and the judge won't. I mean the um, Sheriff Joe uh, Barnes, I believe, Don Joe Don Barnes, the chief of this place, he won't let people out. And so um, he was. He said an appeal, and it was just in the paper today, actually, that he um, he lost that appeal. So he has to let people go, and they're really mad about that because that's their money. When they when they don't have inmates, they don't have money. They money every day per head. Um, yeah. And so. The, the not having the food thing is just some there's trying to say, well, we don't have enough inmates to, to cook, and we don't have enough. In I mean, that's bullshit. There's plenty of inmates here who can cook. I, I, I personally see females that are sitting here that could be working in the kitchen, you know. Um, there's other women at Theo Lacey who they can recruit to come over here to help. So it's just an excuse to try to say, you know, unfortunately because of COVID, they can't use that discretion and, and use that. So, oh, well, we don't don't have enough inmates and this and that. So it's the same food every single day, every single day. Um, and it's food I can't even eat, so um, mm -hmm. don't even you, switch it up, you know. Yeah, you, you said it's food you can't eat. Is that because of a dietary concern or religious concern yeah. or, okay. Yeah, both, both. Because um, of my, the way I, my faith is I don't eat certain foods and stuff and, um, they they just give you these processed bologna sandwiches every day. Literally, that's what you, that's breakfast and that's dinner. And so it's um, apples, carrots, or you get apple and orange, and um, and this bologna meat that I, I can't eat. Um, so um, 
Yeah, it's, 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 I'm fortunate that I have some commissary, so I'm able to, um, um, you know, eat some chips and stuff like that, but it's not anything healthy. It's not anything mm-hmm. hot most of the time, you know. Um, sometimes I can get a noodle or something, but um, that depends on when I come out, you know. So it's not at dinner time like you can do that. So it's just, it's just um, I, I feel really sorry for the people who don't have that resource and can't, you know. It, it's just like torture. It's like, you know, the same thing all the time, same thing all the time, and it drives a person crazy. Yeah, so uh, what is the, what's the mental toll of, of isolation? Um. Like, you know, I, 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 my, my faith and my spirituality keep me going. Um, it, it would be, I think, for someone with that doesn't have that strength and that support to back them, it would be a lot worse. But I'm doing the best I can to um, just stay positive and 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 stay reading and stay studying. I'm doing a lot of studying. Uh, you know, just stay. Focus, but it, it has its times. It definitely has its times where maybe you just want a little interaction with other people and stuff. But, um, but you know, it, it's all about the. I, I'm, I'm keeping my head up about it and, and just trying to look positive on it. And, and um, you know, um, do you have family, Tia, that you speak with? Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, How are they? Well, I, how are they holding up? Um. Everybody's doing. Everybody's just trying to the best they can to support me, and I appreciate it. And 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 the, and the biggest family is my extended family, um, the activists, the supporters, the friends that um, I've built along the way who are really out there helping me. Um, if I didn't have them, I wouldn't have this conversation. I'd be in total depression. Wouldn't be able to talk to you. Wouldn't be able to function. Keep my head up because um, it's my extended family. All the people out there who are, you know. Um, doing the things to show that they, they love and care about me and that they have my back and they, you know, they know that I'm in here on some bullshit and they're, they're root for me and keeping their head up. I mean, that's, that's, that's my family right there the most, you know, um, they're, they're really, I, I thank them so much, the people who are supporting me and out there, um, you know, uh, on social media, passing things along, doing banner drops, um, out marching, caravanning. Um, God bless you guys, and thank you so much. That's my family right there. My activist family is, is very important to me right now. So let's talk about your Belinda a little bit. I know that you can't discuss the details of your case right now, um, but uh, one of the things that activists uh, rallying to support you have been saying quite a bit is that um, – while you were in the car, uh, this call you, will be recorded and monitored. You feared for your life. Um, without talking about anything that you did physically or anything like that, could you tell me how you felt uh, while you were sitting in the car? Uh, absolutely, in fear for my life. I still have bad dreams about it and uh, had to get medication because I was sleeping and having nightmares about it. Um, it was very scary. I felt 20,000 times what those people in um, the Capitol felt. If they think they felt bad, imagine if you only have just a small piece of glass literally from them in your face. They had a whole building and doors and, and cops with guns that were trying to protect them. That's, we didn't have none of that. So I was definitely very, very frightful, um, and my heart was just racing 
a thousand beats per minute at that moment, and um, it, it it was just it was scary. I never um, really been in that position before like that, and so um, it it was scary. And the noise, I'll never forget the noise. Um, from them banging on my car and screaming at me, and you know, uh, it it was just very scary. It was very scary. I felt like I was like. Um, like I, you, when you watch the or you look at the pictures of of, of uh, the integration in the school back in, um, excuse me if I get it wrong, I think it was in Mississippi or when, mm-hmm. when those black kids were walking to school and you just see these people screaming at them and throwing stuff at them and all the hate, you know, um, that's how I felt, you know, like those black people sitting at that counter uh, trying to integrate that diner and, and you know, they were just were sitting there peacefully and they were just pouring stuff on them and they were just yelling at them and screaming at them. Um, it, it's just, that's how I felt. It was just horrible. It was very scary, very, very scary. So I think one of the things that there's some confusion about that I think you can clear up, um, now you were attending a protest for Black Lives Matter, which was counter-protested, and the counter-protesters are the ones that approached your car. Is that correct? Absolutely. They were already, um, I can't get into too much detail about it, but we were there for a march for equality, but these people had already, uh, ahead of time, made threats, were lying to their community, a lot of fear-mongering going on in that community. They thought, they were telling people there's going to be thousands of us coming and we're going to destroy their their city and we're going to hurt them and we're going to... Um, you know, just bring a lot of uh, of havoc and heat down. They were, they said that Antifa was coming and that we were bringing bustle. We were being bussed in. There were so many people. The fear mongering that the community had was just insane. They were lying, saying the FBI was calling businesses and telling businesses to shut down. Um, you know, we were calling businesses, telling them, "Don't worry, we're not to harm anybody or hurt anybody. Um, we were, were there for peace." Um, uh, we were we were far far away from them. We were you know a block and a half down the road, a couple mm-hmm. blocks down the road from their protest. Um, they came over there. The group of violent um, people came over to us. You know we never went to them. So yeah, it was a uh, and, and they were all Trump. They all had Trump flags. It was all under the banner of Trump because Trump has been used as a banner of hate and and for Nazis and white supremacist type their agenda behind. And alter right, you know, and and we weren't even there for that. We didn't have. Um, there's a group there that says, you know, Trump Pence must go, but that wasn't the majority of the group, and that wasn't what was being presented. We we're presented as a, for, uh, a march for justice and equality, and and to, to combat social injustice, and um, and nothing to do with a political, you know, with Trump. And so, um, but these people use that and under that banner to Trump come and hurt us and try to, you know. It wasn't even a political rally. They bring the, this politic into it, so um, it was. It was. It was sad. It was very sad. They they did it very quickly. Uh, so Todd Spitzer is the district attorney in Orange County. Um, your charges are uh, very intense right now. You're facing um, possible sentences of 20 years to life. Uh, if you could communicate a message to him especially about your sentencing, what would it be? Hmm. This call will be recorded and monitored. That's a deep question. That's a deep question. Um, How do you tell somebody who knows they're doing something that's wrong that 
what do you talk to? What do you say to somebody who knows they're doing something wrong? Um, and then in light of the new charges that they're adding on, um, how do you, what do you communicate to someone who you know is being corrupt? You know, um, God says don't throw pearls before swine, which means don't waste your time on people who you know are not going to try to change or you know are not going to do what's right. You can only do so much. And um, his office is, is, is uh, speaks for itself. Um, there's always, they're always in the newspaper for um, corruption and, 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 you know, uh, doing things they aren't supposed to do on a regular basis. So I would just hope that he searches his, his, his heart and, and, and his spiritual guidance to lie to that. doesn't matter how much power you have here on earth. Um, there's going to be a judge one day that's greater, far greater than any judge you've ever been in front of in Orange County, and he's going to put a mirror in front of you, and he's going to say, did you do what was right? And he's going to play things in your life and show you where you were wrong. And I just hope that Todd realizes that one day that judge is going to be just the, that's the ultimate judge, and doing what's right is is what's going to be for eternal. This life will go. Tomorrow he could be gone. Tomorrow I could be gone. Tomorrow you could be gone. This life isn't promised. The only thing, the only thing you're promised in this world is death. That's it. You're not even promised to be born. You're but promised if you're born to die. And I just hope that he um, really considers that fact that with great power comes great responsibility. And abusing that power is is he can he can do whatever he wants here. This is the devil's world, the the evil that happens in the world. But he will be judged for for his actions, for the abuse of power, and for um, you know not having you know just for the abuse of power. That that's what's going on right now. How can people assist you uh, with your case A, but B also? just help you have a more comfortable time in incarceration? Um, you know, I like getting letters, uh, people saying, you know, that they, they're they out there for me and they're supporting. I appreciate that. It feels good to, to hear from people. Um, you know, if people are, can donate, there's a bail fund. This call will be recorded and monitored. If people want to donate, there's a bail fund because we're trying to um, raise bail so that I can try to fight this genuinely. And out on the street, I have a better chance because I can do um, have a little bit more control over things and how things are, are going. Um, I have a Zelle and a, and a cash app that people can send money to, and that's going directly to me. It's not gonna; they don't have to worry about if it's gonna be if it's going to somebody else or if it's um, somebody else is raising funds. Or <laughs> and uh so um they're always on the phone. <laughs> um so if people want to donate to that, that would be helpful. It helps me, you know, get some food and stuff in here and get the writing materials and stuff I need and um you know, the, also knowing that people are are sharing this and, and you know, trying to bring uh, attention to it and helping me that, that would be good, you know, um, trying to get some more national attention for this, and that that supports me a lot to get the right people out there to, to help. You know, um, I really need help right now with, with every, the world needs to see what's going on to me because um, it, it, there's a lot of 
just the corruption in this world and, and how they're trying to play this game is just so sad. So, um, but yeah, if, if people want to donate, that also helps as well. Okay. Is there a way that people can write to you or send um, you literature? Yeah. yeah um, well, they have a strict policy about the literature, so like I, I don't, I don't encourage people to send books or don't send, don't send cards, don't send postcards, don't send greeting cards or books. A lot of that stuff gets returned. Books, I do get them, but they have a limit, and I've reached my limit already. Um, so um, just letters on plain paper, can't be colored paper, just plain white paper with ink. Um, they can write to me. Um, I'll give you that information so that you can post that, um, and you know. Uh, just, you know, knowing that we're out there sharing this for the world to hear and um, possibly I really would like to get bailed. That, that's my goal is to get bailed out so that I can make sure um, I have a fair chance at fighting this. It's hard from in here to, to fight this because there's it's a huge case and I need, there's so many factors involved. Yeah. Um, and I have to have to be somewhat in control of some of those factors because it's my destiny and uh, I want to be in control of my destiny and make sure that it's, I get a fair chance. So um, that, that's, that's the goal right now. This call will be recorded and monitored. If anybody knows any philanthropists or they work with people who are of an influence, um, you know, money is nothing. You know, people buy million-dollar sculptures to put in front of their yard. The money is nothing to some people. So if we could find somebody who, who could help with that, um, my bail is a million dollars, which would be $100,000 uh, to bail mm -hmm. out. Um, and so right now that's what we're trying to do. Uh, they might try to raise my bail somewhat. Um, it wouldn't be another million, but it would be a few thousand. That's with the included charges that might happen. Um, but if anybody you know, can help reach out to people, philanthropists, stars, uh, people who are, 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 are compassionate about this movement and what's happening to the people who are trying to fight it, um, then that would be great. Um, do you find that being incarcerated currently is a challenge to your legal defense? Yes, yes, because nobody's going to defend me as good as me. And when I say that, I mean... Um, that I have to be proactive. I have to be proactive about my case, and and because there's a lot of factors involved, and because we live in the world we live in, there's there's different types of evidence to gather and whatnot, and I have to be proactive. And um, I have a great support system who has been helping me tremendously. Um, but at the same time, everybody has their own lives, their own issues, their own things going on, and. Um, if, if, if somebody's helping me and then all of a sudden their life hits them and they can't help me more, I still need to do what I have to do in order to, for my defense. And it's, it's just a fact of being proactive and making sure that um, things are getting done properly and, and, and uh, there's just so much to do. There's so much to do. And um, I, I, so I had, a, I had a pro bono attorney and I decided that I don't think that would be the best um that was the best ideal for me. And so I went with the public defender's office. Um, I have a lot of hopes about, high hopes about the public defender's office here in Orange County. They're not like other other places. They seem to care. They seem to be um, willing to fight the good fight and not shake hands with people and just make deals. They seem like they're going to really fight for me. So I have a lot of confidence in them. And um, there's a lot of resources needed for my case, a lot of money. Involved. We have a kid this big, um, so um, they have a lot of the resources available to be able to fight for me as well. So, um, 
So, but but I still have to be proactive. I can't just depend on people or depend on a, 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 a attorney to to do the things that need to be done. You know, this is the type of case that's can like a lifetime movie or set precedent for other cases. And so, I want to make sure that everything that is to get done to the best of its ability. And you can't do that from in here. Um, so, Tia, I think one really important question um, is. I know you were an organizer with uh, several different groups. Um, what, before your incarceration, were you fighting for? What was the message? Well, my organization is Caravan for Justice. It's Caravan and Number Four Justice. Um, and what we were fighting for was, like our mantra, educate, organize, mobilize. We want to educate the people because... Without education, this won't work. And this past summer kind of showed that because there was a lot of mobilizing and without organizing. There was a lot of mobilizing without education. And people were coming out asking and begging, what can we do? What can we do? Um, a lot of times the way I got people to understand part of our message was I said, everybody wants to say defund the, po the police, defund the police. And the people who had those defund the police signs, I would say, okay, how do you defund the police? And they'd be like, uh, tell me how. You say defund the police. So what is it going to take to defund the police? How do we do this? Because out here marching, screaming, and yelling isn't going to help. It's only a small part of it. It does help. But when you're yelling and screaming for the right things and at the right people. Um, so education and with, with educating people on legislation, at most of the people, I would say, I went to one event and I said, I got $5 for somebody who could tell me the three branches of the government. All these people, 80% of them are voters, and they don't even know what the three branches of the government are. They don't know what the, the difference between the legislative, the judicial, and the executive branches. They don't know who has the power. Um, a lot of times we go out here and, we t and we're screaming and yelling in front of these police, and I tell people, you know what, these aren't the people with power. It's not this person standing in front of you that has power. It's not this cop who has power. It's the laws and legislation that govern their job that has the power. It's the Bill of Rights. It's the qualified immunity. That's who we need to be yelling and screaming at. That's where we need to be um, putting our energy into fighting this legislation and laws and making sure Congress and the, and, and, and also common law, the, the, the stuff judges put in place, like with my case. My case was set precedent for other people who come behind me. So, you know, um, educating people on how this system works and to know what change is when change comes and how to get it. That was our goal. Organize. Once we educate ourselves, organizing that education to find out what is the, the key to, to really winning this war. How do we win this battle? How do we, what do we do now? Um, and we're going to start working on, and still are, I'm actually doing a lot of studying about it now, writing bills, getting things, getting things reversed and getting things put on the, on, on the ballot and, and measures and stuff like that. Our goal was to try to educate people on the recent measures that were um, on, um, on this last election because some of them were just crude, like parolees being able to vote. Um, you know, uh, uh, affirmative action. There were some things on there that were major hitters. Um, so educating, organizing that education, and then mobilizing the community and letting the community know that we do count. Our voice does count. Our vote does count. 
for so long, the enemy has tried to, um, and this goes back, we, can't, we don't have time for the whole conversation about it, but I urge people to read the new Jim Crow. Anybody who's out here protesting and you haven't read the new Jim Crow, you really don't understand a lot of what's going on. Ninety percent of the people out there were standing out there begging for this knowledge, and a lot of that knowledge is in Jim Crow, the infrastructure that's been put in place against us. And until we understand how that infrastructure works, we're not going to be able to fight it. We go out there, we have people lose their eyes and, and, and their their jobs and their vehicles and their phones and all this stuff and, and all these things. And in the end, when they go days later, they still don't know what change they've made. They still don't, they don't, still don't see the change. Um, we're out here fighting for somebody who's shot, and, and, then, and then three days later, the same happens in another part of town. But we were out there fighting and screaming and yelling, but it didn't make a change. So our goal at Caravan for Justice was to educate people and educate organizers whose heart is in the right place but whose mind isn't in the right place and start working on how to really make change in this world and make change in our community. And like I said, um, it wasn't. it's not the, the cop that's standing in front of you who has the power. It's the laws that govern them that have the power. The same reason why when you first moved to your neighborhood and you got a parking ticket, your parking ticket was $25, and now your parking ticket's $100. Well, how did that happen? You know, local government. Um, Caravan for Justice, we were working with the local, I'm from Long Beach, and we're out of Long Beach, and we were working with Long Beach to try to implement programs. Everybody's saying defund the police. Well, part of defunding the police is putting programs in place that take away from what they're saying they're doing, but they're not. They're just using that money to put in their pockets, but they're not actually using that money for what they said they needed it for um, and achieving goals. You know, they're saying setting goals, and then if they don't achieve them, it's like, oh, well, we tried. We'll work the city to try to implement programs like Cahoots, which is a mobile um, uh, 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 mobile uh, what is it what is it called um, uh, basically working the, the calls that the police say they're inundated with and that it's really hard for them to go out when you call and say somebody broke in my car you need fingerprints and you need a report and they don't want to come out and do that it's because they're saying they're dealing with homeless people and mentally uh, mental health people mobile crisis intervention services that I was looking for mm-hmm. um, mobile crisis intervention services so people don't the police don't need to be handling those calls. They don't need to be handling mental health people. They don't need to be handling all domestic issues. They don't need to handle every drunk person that that they get a phone call from or homeless issues and and, and a teenager who's out of control. Look at this this child in in um I forget what state it was in, but there was a kid that he has autism and the mom called the police because he's been brainwashed that we call the police to help us with everything. She calls on her son to try to get some help because he has autism and he's a little out of control, and the child ends up getting shot. And he's not, you know, the kid was so autistic that when he got shot, his words were, this doesn't feel good. He didn't He didn't even know how to heal it. It wasn't like, I got shot, I've been, he didn't even know, he just knows this doesn't feel good. Okay, so how did it go from her asking the police to help to her son getting shot, her autistic son getting shot like that? That because the police didn't need to come out for that. And so um, with mobile crisis intervention services like Cahoots, the Denver Star, um, other programs like that, those programs have proven 
over the, over years that they are successful. And so we wanted to implement those models and show people that you can do this. this there's other things that works. There's alternatives. So educate, organize, mobilize. Educate, organize, mobilize. That's the key to this battle. And I'm hoping in 2021 I'm able to um, continue with that. We're able to continue with that with that cause because um, that's the way we're going to be able to fight this. Educate ourselves on what's, what's really going on, what are the real problems, what does change look like, how can we effectively make change, organize ourselves with that knowledge to come up with an effective plan on how to implement it, and then go mobilize the community and teach them what we've learned and how we can make that change. So that was what we did, and that's what we were doing, and, and we have no problem with um going to places like Yorba Belinda. It was a vote. Part of the Urban Organizers Coalition, we are a group or a coalition, we vote, and they voted to go to Yorba Belinda and, um, because that place is, um, it has a lot of racism. There's a lot of racism there, and there's a lot of unequal, there's not a lot of <coughs> um, social injustice, and uh, um, there is no equality. People say who, who come from there, they're like, yes, yeah, it's just a, one-stop shop type place, like you're going to get what you're going to get there, ain't no change. And so um, we don't mind going to the front lines of places like that. We don't safely say, safely stay in places um, and say, okay, we're just going to stay right here and, and, you know, where it's nice and safe. We don't mind going out and saying, hey, what you're doing is wrong, and we love you because that's the whole thing, Caravan for Justice. Our symbol is a fist with a heart. We want to distinguish ourselves from the Black Lives Matter organization in the sense that um, they're more of a militant group, and they're more uh, of their, their their motto is more of a fully black organization. But with Caravan for Justice, we we know that it takes the whole world, it takes every color, every race, every nation to to make this fight and this struggle real, and to and to be able to combat this struggle. So this call will be recorded and monitored. So our symbol is is a heart and a fist the, the, with the black line on, on it. The heart is um, for love. You know, this is a you have to love. You know, and that, I get that from Martin Luther King and how he approached um, his struggle and what they were going through during the civil rights movement. And it was, and you know, promoting love helped get to the point where we got in '64 when we were able to pass the Civil Rights Act. Um, but we also got the fist because. Um, the, the black power, you know, um, because it's the minority people who are suffering the most and the people of color who are suffering the most and, um, you know, throwing that fist up represents us fighting for that struggle. And the black stripe on it represents death. It represents the people who have died fighting for that struggle and how we're there to keep this struggle going. To keep, We don't want to struggle anymore. One of the most... Um, one of the most spiritual things I saw during the protest, I say spiritual because it really helped me um, open up my heart to fight and keep fighting. The times you think, well, am I really going to make a change? Am I really going to do anything? Um, was a sign that at one of the caravans we had that said, um, let this be the last generation fighting for the same thing. And that just opened up my heart. Because... Mm-hmm. Um, so many generations fought for the same thing. So what are we doing wrong? What are we not getting? What is it that, that that's wrong with this world that we're fighting for the same thing over and over again? And uh, at Caravan for Justice, our hopes is that this is the last generation that has to fight for that. And, uh, you know, the next generation needs to be the best generation. 
and I have a lot of hope for them. I have a lot of hope for the world, and we have a lot of hope for the next generation um, because they're very much more diverse than, than how we grew up. Um, so anyway, the long answer to your question is educate, organize, and mobilize the community was what we were trying to do and, and spread love and peace and education to people to make the change they, they're looking for and desire and they're out there fighting for without having to keep suffering so much because we were suffering out here fighting for George and for Brianna and all the other people, Dijon, and, and we were, people were suffering. So there has to be a different plan, a different way of action because these people are are, are living off the side of land and we're sitting here suffering and we need to not suffer no more. Um, any last words? Um, I just want to say thank you to everybody who's out there supporting me, the people I know, and especially the people I don't know, the people who are reading about what's going on and they're sharing it on social media and they're telling their friends about it, and the people who are um, still out there fighting the good fight. Don't give up. Don't give up. We have to educate ourselves um, on how to properly fight this. Please just remember, the year of 2021, educate, organize, and mobilize. Educate, organize, and mobilize for change. Um, that's the only way we're going to get it. We, there's no other way. And um, I just appreciate the support and the love, and thank you very much.